a few passages of scripture before we pray. Second Thessalonians two sixteen to seventeen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Second Thessalonians three five. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 May the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like the hungry baby birds in a nest, we begin this Sunday ready to feast on copious amounts of your comfort, love, and peace. Thanks for being so generous with us daily. As a father of mercy and God of all comfort, may your compassion run like a gentle stream through to us and then through us to others today. Grace always runs downhill, so we gladly take the low place today. Grant us words of healing and hope for friends in various stages of duress and stress. In the words of Paul, Father, direct our hearts into more of your love and Jesus' perseverance, lest our wandering hearts head toward the cul-de-sac of navel-gazing self-pity. As much as we already know of your love, show us even more, Father. Dazzle and delight us. Astonish our hearts by the riches of grace and the Spirit's fire. And we are so thankful that Christ's perseverance is our strength for the journey and not our bootstrap pulling or stoical resolve. Lastly, Father, we trust you for all the peace we will need today. Fill our hearts with your peace. Balance our stumbles with your peace. Calm our storms, pandemic ones and other varieties with your peace. That you are with us. And for us is all we really need. So very amen we pray in the ever kind, ever near name of Jesus. Long ago in 1563, a handful of German theologians got together and summarized the essentials of Christian life and faith in a document called the Heidelberg Catechism. It is set in the classic question-and-answer format, and it's famous for its first question-and-answer. Here's how the Heidelberg Catechism comes out swinging. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact... All things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That'll preach, won't it? That's good stuff, and that'll comfort you, too. And the entire answer to the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is what our God is thrilled to do for us. Jesus loves to comfort sinners. As he says in Isaiah 51, 12, I, I am he who comforts you. And that's our big idea today, straight from the lips of God. 
I, I am he who comforts you. And it's emphatic in the Hebrew language. I, I am he who comforts you. There's this emphatic personal pronoun. I love it. I never knew I loved personal pronouns because I didn't care about grammar when I grew up. But when you study the biblical languages, you see things like this and you're like, the emphatic personal pronoun. I, I am he who comforts you. And you know what? It's really fun to say in Hebrew. Anoki, anoki, hu, manakimkim. Isn't that fun to say? I was saying it with my kids this past week, saying, let me teach you this phrase in Hebrew. And they, were, they, they caught on eventually, and it was like, anoki, anoki, hu, manakimkim. I, I am he who comforts you. With this phrase here in Isaiah 51, it's as if God is saying to us, but I am as alert as ever you might require. I'm wide awake, paying attention to all that concerns you. I'm not asleep. I'm not dozing off. I'm watching over and working for you. The Lord is just as concerned to answer our prayers as we are to cry out to him. Think about that. The Lord is just as concerned to answer our prayers, just as excited to answer our prayers as we are to cry out to Him with our petitions and our requests. And so God is reassuring His people through the prophet Isaiah that He Himself is the one who personally gets involved when His people are suffering. He rolls up His sleeves and He gets His own hands dirty. And that's what the Apostle Paul will say about God in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today. So look at verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. As we saw two weeks ago, Paul explodes in praise and adoration here. I mean, who wouldn't want to begin a letter to a church in this way? Keep in mind that Paul, as he writes these words, Paul is suffering in some very profound ways. We'll see it more as we go along, but this is who Paul is as he writes this letter to this church that he planted. He is suffering. He is overwhelmed with life. He's overwhelmed with ministry. In fact, he'll say, at one point, it got so bad that I wanted to die. And so how can Paul be suffering so much and at such deep levels that he can praise God like this? What enables him to worship God like this? I'll tell you this. It was not the ease of his circumstances. It wasn't getting to a place in life that things were just kind of going well. It wasn't getting all of his questions answered. I mean, that's what we tend to think, right? My praise will be exuberant. My praise and my worship will be over the top if God will just explain to me what in the world he's doing. If he would just tell me now why I am suffering, I'll worship him. If my situation gets better, then I'll worship him wholeheartedly. What empowered Paul to praise God was the worth of the God who saved him. As we were just singing, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Ministry wasn't about him for Paul. It's about Jesus. And that's why he can explode in praise here. Because it's all about God's glory. It's not about Paul, not about what he's going through. So he explodes in praise here in verse 3. And life is really hard for him. See, when life becomes hard for, for us, we, we turn inward. Uh, the old, it's probably Latin, maybe phrases, incurvatus se. We sort of, we turn in on ourselves and we make us the focus. Paul doesn't do that here. He'll talk about his suffering, but right out of the gate, he is centered on his God. He explodes in praise and life is really hard for him. 
Now, we tend to think that our worship will be more extravagant, more over the top, when life is generally easy, when God answers all of our prayers and he gives us what we want. That's what I tend to think. Make my life a little easier, Jesus, and man, the worship will just explode out of me. And so I'm rebuked by these verses. I'm challenged to repent of my ways by how Paul begins his letter. Paul shows us that you can be suffering in the deepest of ways. You can be experiencing very deep, raw heart pain. Like nerves are exposed and you just breathe on them and it hurts. You can be suffering deep heart pain and yet your worship can come up from even the deeper places of your heart. So make make no mistake about it. That almost sounded like Hebrew, didn't it? Make no mistake about it. Paul is suffering in the deepest of ways and yet he can say, Blessed be the God. And this phrase is the banner that is raised over all of 2 Corinthians. And this is the banner that should be stretched across every church. Blessed be the God. It's the banner that's stretched over all the Bible. And so the Bible is just page after page and verse after verse and chapter after chapter of blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's the heart of God that you see on page after page after page in the Bible. He is the Father of mercies, and He is the God of all comfort for you today, right now, in your suffering, in your pain, in your heartache, in your sorrow. He is all of that for you today. And the deeper we drink of this good news, the more extravagant our praise will be. The deeper we drink in of this this good news, not, not the easier our life becomes, not this trial and tribulation is no longer a part of my life. No, it's the deeper that we drink in of this good news of who God is, then the more extravagant our praise will be. The more often we have deep, repeated gulps of the gospel. Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead for us. The more we drink that in, the more we have deep, repeated gulps of the good news of Jesus, then the more extravagant our worship will be, just like Paul here. That means that if we stumble in here on Sunday morning, or if you stumble into your living room to watch the live stream, or your bed, in your pajamas, however you stumble there. And I assume most of us do stumble in here when we're normally meeting on Sunday morning. We should leave here, or leave a live stream, having met the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. If we walk into church on Sunday morning saying these words and feeling these words deeply inside, my heart hurts. I feel like a bruised reed and a flickering wick. I don't think I can make it. I'm weak. I feel like I can't go another day. I'm worn out. I need comfort. If we come into church that way, we should be able to leave saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That is our goal for this church. We want people to leave here or leave a live stream. No matter how deeply they are suffering, no matter what is happening in their lives, saying those words. Walking in beat up and walking in tired and walking in weary and walking in exhausted and leaving and being able to say even through the pain and the sorrow, being able to say, blessed be the God. That's the kind of church that I think we are, by God's grace. And it's the kind of church we want to remain. We want people to come here and to experience this God. And so verse 3 
is the heart of God for you, Christian. We want you to experience this God when you come here. Otherwise, why are we here? It's not for us. It's not for our glory. It's for other people to come and to meet Jesus and to experience this God that we love. And so verse 3 is the heart of God for you, Christian. Mercy and comfort. Please understand his deepest desires, the deepest desire of his heart, the core of his being for you is mercy and comfort, not frustration and anger. This is how God glorifies himself. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. This is how God glorifies himself. By showering you with his mercy and his comfort. And you don't have to twist his arm to get him to be this way. He doesn't reluctantly shell out his gifts. He's not stingy. He's not reluctant. This, verse 3, is who he is. And so why not share this good news with someone this week? Go ask a coworker or neighbor who they think God is and ask them, what do you think God is like? And then tell them. Say, he's merciful and he comforts weary, hurting, bruised people. Tell them that God's deepest desires for them are mercy and comfort, not frustration and anger. And then call them to repentance, to turn from living a life of sin, turn from living for themselves, and to turn in faith to Jesus, and they can be saved. Well, today we're just going to be looking at the last half of verse 3, and then the first half of verse 4. Last week, we looked at what it means that God is the Father of mercies. But Paul also tells us here, that he is the God of all comfort. Now think about that. You would expect judgment for the Corinthian church, right? You would expect the proverbial slap on the wrist, but that's not how Paul describes God here. Paul surprises them with comfort, mercy and comfort for this sin-prone church. Paul is just pulling back the very heart of God and he's giving the Corinthians a peek at who God really is. I love that. It's what sinners and sufferers really need. Just a peek behind the curtain into the heart of God. And that's enough. And that will comfort your heart. And please understand, God's comfort is not wimpy. Okay, we're talking about comfort. It doesn't sound very macho and strong. God's comfort is not wimpy. His his comfort is not frail. God's comfort is massive. It's dense. It's thick. It's solid. It's wide. There's comfort, that kind of comfort, for every sorrow that we face. It's not a wimpy kind of comfort. And that's how you're supposed to read this verse. You're supposed to come away happy and hopeful that this massive, God-sized comfort is available for you right now today with whatever is breaking your heart. That means then that whatever you face in this world, you don't have to fear that somehow God's comfort will be too wimpy, too soft to take on what you are facing. The word used here by Paul for comfort, this Greek word has the idea of coming alongside someone and consoling them and encouraging them and strengthening them and refreshing them spiritually. And so God is the God of all comfort, the God of all come alongside you and refresh you. He's the God of all. I'm with you, right beside you, holding your hand with my arm around you, helping you. He's the God of all comfort, the God of all come alongside you and refresh you. The God of all, I'm with you, right beside you, holding your hand, my arm around you. In other words, he's cheering you on. 
I mean, think about that. What a picture of God. God is cheering his kids on and saying, y'all can do it because I'm with you. I'm strengthening you. I'm helping you. He's not like a drill sergeant. God is not like Sergeant Carter on Gomer Pyle. Do you remember that old show, Gomer Pyle? Sergeant Carter was always yelling at Gomer and all the other soldiers, always in their face, barking orders. And that's how some people view God. He just yells and barks orders. And that's the way some preachers present him. And those preachers just yell and bark orders in their sermons, don't they? But God's not like that at all with his children. He's the father of mercies. God does not come alongside us and scream in our ear. He comes alongside us to help us, to strengthen us. He's not like an out-of-control, fly-off-the-handle father. He comes to strengthen, to refresh. Believe it or not, he's on our side. He's for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? As Ian Duguid said, the Lord is not a harsh taskmaster waiting for us to step out of line so that he can punish us severely for the slightest infraction. On the contrary, he confronts us with our sins so that he can forgive us and show us his mercy and grace when we repent. He's a loving father who waits with arms outstretched all day long to welcome home the returning prodigal. Listen, God is not a harsh taskmaster. He comforts repentant sinners under the shelter of his wings, not with a hammer. So when you repent and you come to your senses, like the younger brother, and you come home and you leave the pigsty behind, how does Jesus welcome you in the shelter of his wings? Not with a hammer, not to beat you up. He spreads wide his wings and you find shelter there and comfort. He comforts us in a myriad of ways, because he is, after all, the God of all comfort, which means we can never exhaust his supplies and never exhaust his sources of comfort. He has an endless supply of comfort for you. You will never find yourself in any situation where God looks concerned and he tells you, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this one. I'm really, really sorry. I just don't have the resources for this one. I'm just out of my league here. The Spirit of God comforts us in a myriad of ways. He uses, he uses the ordinary means of grace, the preaching of God's Word, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and prayer. He uses those things, and the Spirit of God also uses friends and books, and phone calls, and text messages, and blog posts, and Instagram stories. He uses whatever it takes to bring your little heart comfort. He's committed to your comfort. You have to believe that. We'll talk more next week about how he comforts us. But this is what the Holy Spirit does. His to-do list looks like this. Comfort, comfort, comfort. As Puritan John Owen said, the comforter gives a sweet and plentiful evidence and persuasion of the love of God to us, such as the soul is taken, delighted, satiated with all. This is his work, and he doth it effectually. To give a poor sinful soul a comfortable persuasion affecting it throughout in all its faculties and affections that God in Jesus Christ loves him, delights in him, is well pleased with him, hath thoughts of tenderness and kindness towards him, to give, I say, a soul an overflowing sense hereof is an inexpressible mercy. The Holy Spirit is ready to persuade you of God's love. He longs to comfort you and tell you that your Father in heaven does love you, that he delights in you, that he is well pleased with you, and that he has thoughts of tenderness and kindness toward you. And he wants you to feel it and to 
sense it overwhelmingly. That is comfort straight from the heart of God. And the context for the comfort that we receive from God is affliction. Two times Paul uses this word in verse 4, and then he uses it again in verse 6, and then again in verse 8. And so Paul is piling up this word to show us the context that God's comfort shows up in. Affliction. But what does Paul mean by affliction? What exactly does that entail? The word that he uses here for affliction has both an outward and an inward idea. Outwardly, you see it with tribulations and trials and pressures, hardships, troubles, persecutions, and sufferings. And then inwardly, it's all the distresses and the anxieties that plague us. And so it's this whole package of what we experience outwardly and also what we experience inwardly which is where we feel it when we suffer, right? There's a physical aspect, and then there's this inner aspect of affliction and suffering. There's this tangible and intangible effect. And here's how it looked for the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, he's saying, the Corinthians, like, you, you love the super apostles who are just so full of themselves and want to see their name in lights in ministry? He says, let me tell you what ministry was like for me. I wasn't a celebrity pastor. I wasn't going on tour and signing books. I was suffering deeply. Listen to what Paul says. In contrast to the super apostles, he says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, that's plural, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers Danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's what affliction looked like for Paul, the man writing this letter who begins by saying, blessed be the God. Thrown in jail several times, beaten near death, whipped on five different occasions for a total of 195 lashes. Three times he was beaten with wooden rods. Rocks were thrown at him, shipwrecked three times. I mean, you shipwrecked after the second time, you think, I'm not ever getting in a boat again. Shipwrecked three times, floating in the sea for 24 hours. Danger, danger, danger from everybody and everywhere he went. Sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, often without food, he says. Cold and exposure to the elements. And then on top of all that, All the drama and all the cares and all the concerns and all the emails that come with pastoral ministry. And there was all weighing on his heart. And all of that Paul is summing up here with this one little word, affliction. That's the context for the comfort that he receives from God. It looked different for Paul at different times in his life, you can tell. And the same is for you and me. We all suffer affliction in many different ways, but no matter how you color it, no matter how you dress it up, affliction is affliction is affliction, and it stinks, and it hurts, and we don't like it. And that's okay. We're not called to enjoy affliction. We're just called to enjoy the God of all comforts as we endure affliction. And so whatever we suffer in this world... Jesus comes to us and he says to us, I, I am he who comforts you. There's that emphatic personal pronoun again. I love it. I, I am he who. 
that emphatic personal pronoun may be just what your heart needs today. Whatever you are going through, Jesus is fully aware and he is with you personally comforting your heart. He is always ready and willing to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty with all of your troubles and all of your affliction. And when he does, he comes with comfort in his back pocket. That's why he goes by the name Emmanuel, God with us. God with us, personally comforting us. It's why he gave Abraham and gave us, because Abraham is our father, it's why he gave us this promise. I will be your God. I love the way Donald McLeod expresses it. He says, I will be your God. What does that mean? It means that God is saying to Abraham, I will be for you. I will exercise my godness for you. I will be committed to you. There is no way that can be improved upon. There is no more glorious promise. Not in Romans, not in Hebrews, not in Revelation, not in the Gospel of John, not in the upper room, nowhere. These words of the Abrahamic covenant have never been excelled and never will. So when Paul talks here about the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, the God who said to our father Abraham, and he says to us, I will be your God. You could even put those two phrases together, and I don't think Abraham or Paul or Jesus would mind. I will be your God of all comforts. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Think about it. i got to read it again. I will be your God of all comforts. That just might be enough to get you through whatever it is that you're going through right now. I will be your God of all comforts. Notice, too, that Paul says that God comforts and strengthens us in all our affliction. So no matter what it is that we go through, God is always the one who comforts and strengthens and refreshes us. The suffering may vary. The pressures may be different. What you're going through might be different than what I'm going through. The distresses might change colors, might change outfits. The troubles may be big. Or they may be small. It may be physical. It may be internal. But through it all, there is one constant. God is the one who comforts and strengthens us. So you may be going through something completely different from me. But we have the same source of comfort. Jesus. You might be beaten like Paul. You might go hungry. You might be shipwrecked. You might have sleepless nights. Or you may just have a neighbor that really irritates you. Whatever affliction you go through and suffer, the common denominator for all of us is Jesus. And you can go through a lot when Jesus is with you, comforting. You can go through quite a lot in this life when the God of all comforts is holding your hand. But notice too here how personal this is for Paul and for the Corinthians and for us. He says, who comforts us. If we take away that one word, us, then we lose the very heart of the gospel. If we take away that little word, us, we lose the heart of the gospel. God comforts us plural, real people with real hearts that are going through real problems and just trying to make it one more day. God with us. This is not impersonal. When we suffer, the real Jesus comes to suffer, I mean, comes to comfort the real us, not the us that we display on Instagram, not the us that gives gives people the impression that we have it all together. No, the real Jesus of the Bible comes to comfort the real us. The real us that struggles to love others. The real us that just wants to quit their job. The real us that grieves. The real us 
that maybe even just wants to die, like the Apostle Paul. Jesus comes to that us, and he comforts us. And he doesn't come with a bunch of, I told you so's. Thank God he doesn't come with a list of cheesy Christian memes that are fake and divorced from real life. No. And he doesn't come with forwarded emails about how we will be blessed if we forward this email to 10 people. The one who comforts us goes by the name, the man of sorrows. Who better to comfort us when we suffer? Jesus comes and he knows in even deeper ways than we could ever imagine just what it means to suffer. This is the one who comforts you when you suffer. Someone who has suffered in ways that it will take us eternity to wrap our minds around. And this is the one who comforts you and this is the one you want comforting you. Christian, the man of sorrows, God's own son. So if we take out the word us from verse 4, then we lose the theological punch and power of this verse. It just becomes so generic if we take out the word us. Listen to it. Who comforts in all our affliction. See the difference it makes? Who comforts us, us. He really comforts us. That little two-letter word there is so full of hope. And so we could reword it this way, and I don't think Jesus would mind. Who comforts Grace Baptist Church in all our affliction, in all of our lockdown and quarantine. He comforts us. Isn't that great? Doesn't that, that rephrasing just drive the point home? I love it. He comforts us. He comforts Grace Baptist Church from the nursery with the little tiny humans crawling on the ground or will be crawling one day at some point. So don't email me and say, you said little babies crawling on the ground and nobody's crawling on the ground. I know, we're on week 10, okay? He comforts little tiny humans crawling on the ground all the way to the energetic third grade kids running in the gym, to socially awkward teenagers, to starving college students, to singles, to newly marrieds, to married for a long time, to widowed, to on their deathbed, Grace Baptist Church. All of us. He comforts all of us. There's not a person in this church who misses out on God's comfort whatsoever. You don't have to have your act together to experience God's comfort. Every single person in this church can and does experience his comfort. He comforts us individually and corporately. And as we'll see next week, it's often through our own church family that he does comfort us. And so this is what Jesus does best. He comforts sinners. He comes to his people to dwell with his people and he unleashes all of his power and glory and grace and goodness on them. In fact, not to get all geeky greeky on you, but I will. This is a qualitative genitive in the Greek. That means that God is characterized by comfort of every kind. And so when Paul calls God the God of all comforts, <clears throat> it's a qualitative genitive in the Greek. He means that this is who God is in his nature. This is who he is in his essence. In other words, if you cut Jesus, he bleeds comfort. He is characterized by comfort of every kind. You name the affliction, and Jesus has a comfort to match it. He has all kinds of comfort for all kinds of affliction. And when you are suffering, it is imperative. Listen, it is imperative that you preach to yourself this good news. That Jesus is comforting you. You must preach to your own heart the presence of God with you in your suffering. You must preach to yourself over and over and over again that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. Because if you don't preach to your own heart, 
your circumstances and your suffering will roar so loudly to you and say things like, God is not good and God doesn't care. And so it is vital that you preach God with us to your heart when you're suffering. You might have to call a friend and say, tell me again, what does Emmanuel mean? Tell me that Jesus is with me. It will remind you that Jesus is present with you and with you through the body of Christ. God with us, Emmanuel. That's what your heart needs when you suffer, to be reminded that God is with you. And this is where our hope lies, that God is with us and comforts us. Our hope as we suffer does not lie in figuring things out. Our hope does not lie in getting all of our questions answered. Our hope does not lie in explanations from God. Let me say that again, because this is what we tend to think. As we are suffering and life stinks and it's difficult and hard, our hope does not lie in figuring everything out. Our hope does not lie in getting all of our questions answered. Why is this happening, God? What are you doing? Our hope does not lie in explanations from God. Our hope does not lie in Jesus pulling a chair right next to us and telling us, here's what I'm up to in your life. That's not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the fact that Jesus just simply pulls a chair up next to us. That's our hope. That's enough. Jesus in a chair next to us. Our hope is that he is with us, right next to us, holding our hands as we suffer, not explaining everything. Our hope lies in the fact that we really are never alone. And so Jesus pulls up a chair next to us and he says, answers won't comfort you. Explanations as to why you are suffering won't comfort you. Getting it all figured out won't comfort you. Instead, he says to us, I I am he who comforts you. Even if you don't feel it, he is comforting you. He is with you right now. Listen, I want you to stop and listen. This is what Jesus says to you today right now. I want you to hear these words. You have tuned into this live stream so that Jesus can speak these words to you personally in the middle of all the stuff that you're going through that's breaking your heart, that's driving you crazy, that's making you want to pull your hair out, all the pain, all the sorrow, everything. Jesus had you tune in so that at this moment, You could hear him say these words to you. You ready? Here he is. He says this to you now. I, I am he who comforts you. Receive that today. Be comforted by his presence. Be comforted by his promise. But we may also get comfort from a very unlikely source. Martin Luther said that the devil may comfort us too. Really? I mean, that seems kind of weird and strange. Yeah. Listen to what Luther says in his commentary on Galatians 1.4, commenting on this verse which says, The Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Luther said this, When the devil accuses us and says, You are a sinner and therefore condemned. We should answer, because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be condemned. And I reply, no, for I fly to Christ who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins and try to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your own sword I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I am a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ my Redeemer on whose shoulders, and not mine, 
lie all my sins. So when you say I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but comfort me immeasurably. When the devil throws our sins in our face, he's really just comforting us immeasurably. When the devil tries to heap condemnation on us, we can just tell him, thank you, Satan. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that today. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that I am a sinner because that's who Christ came for. That's who and that's why he lived and died for. Thank you for reminding me of the benefit of Christ, my Redeemer, on whose shoulders and not mine lie all my sins. So when you say that I'm a sinner, Satan, you do not terrify me. You comfort me immeasurably. Say that to the devil next time. Make him mad. Throw it back in his face. Christian, you are forgiven. Enjoy your forgiveness today. We began with comfort from the Heidelberg Catechism, so why not end with it? This time, wherever you are, say it with me. Would you question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. May the Spirit enable you today to wholeheartedly be willing and ready to live for him. P.S. As a reminder, Jesus can't remember your sins. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ loved you and gave himself for you. And that's what your heart needs to hear every time you come to worship or you watch it on a live stream. Listen, as I said earlier, if we stumble in here on Sunday morning, and I assume that most of us do, we should leave here having met the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. If we walk into church on Sunday morning saying and feeling deeply, my heart just hurts. I feel like a bruised reed and a flickering wick. I'm about to crumble. I don't think I can make it one more day. I'm just so weak. I feel like I can't go on. I'm worn out. I need comfort. If we come into church that way, we should be able to leave saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's our goal for this church. We want people to leave here or to leave our live stream, no matter how deeply they are suffering, no matter what is happening in their lives, we want them leaving saying those words. Walking in beat up, walking in tired, walking in weary, walking in exhausted, and leaving and being able to say, even through the pain and through the sorrow, blessed be the God. That's the kind of church that we want to be. And why be this kind of church? Because people have been beaten up all week long, haven't they? We live in a society in which we never measure up, especially on social media, right? We are soaked in constant criticism, constant comparison, especially on social media. And sadly, that just feels normal now, doesn't it? We swim in an ocean of criticism and cut downs all week long, and then 
we walk into church. And that moment is the most important moment of our week. What are we going to hear at church that day? What kind of environment are we going to walk into? We want to be able to say to weary people what the late Pastor James Boyce used to say to his church. He said, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the indefensible, and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. Or, to say it the way the Apostle Paul would, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen, we want you to know that things will be different with this church. I don't know how things are at other churches, but with this church, things will be different when you come here. When you walk into grace, you walk into grace. So you can relax here. You can be honest about your sin. You can name it. You can be honest about your struggles, honest about your pain, honest about your sorrow. And you can meet the Father of mercies and God of all comfort here. And you can be re-oxygenated by his gospel so that you can walk out of the service and breathe and feel very much alive again. And it's all for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a father of mercies and a God of all comfort. Not a God of frustration and anger. Not a God of, I'm just so disappointed in my children. They stink, they're terrible. A God of comfort and mercy. You've been so good to us in sending your son Jesus and all that he's done for us. You've been so good to us in giving us your Holy Spirit who's working here in this church body even during this time of lockdown and quarantine. And we thank you for that. Your spirit is working through your people for your glory, ministering your comfort and mercy. That's all because you're doing it, Holy Spirit. We would mess it up if it was dependent on us. So keep doing it. So we thank you for Jesus, Father. We thank you for the Spirit. Would you continue to help us cultivate an environment of grace here that as a church, we would take our first name seriously and let it all be for your glory. In your name we pray, amen.